Go ahead and open your Bibles again. As Beth read earlier, our text for today is the book of Acts, in the 8th chapter, and we're at the really the second sermon when it comes to the work of Philip, one of the champions of the church. We've looked at Stephen, and now we're looking at this evangelist called Philip. Now, uh, this man we know was a... Uh, early deacon. He was one of those that was chosen early in the life of the church to help solve a problem, to help guide the ministry there that was taking place, particularly to widows. And then God used him as an evangelist when the persecution came under the under under Saul. He went to Samaria and there he proclaimed the gospel. And again, more about that in the message two weeks ago. I'm not going to re-preach that message, but he was effective at proclaiming the gospel. When Peter and John came to verify this work for the Jews and Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, they saw that the message was accurate. They saw that uh, the people were repenting and believing and being baptized. And God sent basically a second Pentecost, a, a Samaritan Pentecost, a second visible evidence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them to confirm to the Jews in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians, that yes, now the Samaritans who come to Christ in repentance and faith, just like the Jews who come to Christ in repentance and faith, are members of the same body, members of the same church, which was a radical change from the way the Jews had viewed the Samaritans in the past. And then we see this young man, Philip, uh, sent by God to a different place. And so this morning we're going to look at what it means or how God can use us. We'll look at this narrative, this example of a successful witnessing encounter. In many ways or in some ways unique or, 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 or um, different from the encounters that we've experienced up until now. We are Pendleton Street Baptist Church. That's the, we are... Those who have come to Christ in repentance and faith. We are those who have covenanted together to be used by God as a congregation for his glory. And to reach reach the west end of Greenville, but to reach our communities and our homes and our families. To reach our world with the glorious, life-giving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is the only means whereby anyone can be saved and we get to be a participants in that so we want to see the things that we can be we can learn as his evangelist just like uh, Philip was his evangelist well one of the statements that I want to make early into this is sometimes we tend to think globally or we think community-wide and we certainly want to reach our community we want to reach our family We want to reach our city, we want to reach our state, our country, and our world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the kingdom of God is increased by one person at a time. Every encounter with Christ is an individual, personal encounter. No one is a Christian because of the country that they live in or were born to or are a citizen of. No one is a Christian because their parents were Christian and they were born and raised in a Christian family. No one is Christian because they're part of some sort of Christian community. And I will tell you that you can identify with a local congregation, a local church, and sign up and join and get on the roll. But until you meet the Lord Jesus Christ personally, you are not a Christian. That's what it takes. It's a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's very important for us to have personal conversations. 
Very important for us to talk to people about who Jesus is to them, what Jesus has done for them, their experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we have an account of in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, when the angel, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to Philip. And he told Philip to rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Lou kind of adds that little narrative in there. Uh, and, uh, and it certainly was a desert place. Gaza was about 60 miles southwest of Jerusalem. That city at that time had been destroyed in 96 B.C. And it was a fortress. It had been a fortress before then. And then it was destroyed. And so the Gaza city, they would, another town was built close by. Uh, the road, though, was the main pathway from Jerusalem to Egypt, to northern Africa. And so it was fairly well traveled, but it was a desolate desert place. Verse 27 tells us, And he, Philip, rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian. Now let me mention this. Uh, In biblical times, Ethiopia was basically how all of Africa south of Egypt was designated. It's included the Sudan it included all of central and and of central Africa, south south of uh, Egypt. He rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian. Now, this Ethiopian wasn't just any Ethiopian. He was a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, and he was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, God sent Philip to meet this man. We'll get into a little bit more about this man in a moment. But if you're following along, if you have the listening guide, there are just some points that I think we ought to celebrate and we ought to recognize from the text. And the first thing, folks, is we have a saving God. We have a God who is in the business of seeking and saving the lost. Sometimes when we think about evangelism, we think about a task that is simply assigned to us. One of the things that we must do and that we should do. But I, don't, I want to remind you that we have a God who is proactive. A God who comes to you. A God who sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin, to live perfectly without any sin in His thoughts, and His attitudes, or in His behaviors. To qualify Himself as satisfying the righteous law of God. And then to qualify Himself as a human without sin, to go to the cross to pay the penalty for all sin. And then, not only did he die in substitutionary, as our substitute and his blood shed on our behalf, God raised him from the dead, conquering death and hell and the grave, and we have life through Jesus. There is no other name under heaven whereby men or women can be saved through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that God is still at work today. God is still seeking and God is still saving the lost. God has delayed his second coming. I don't know how many of you are like me, but there are many days when I wake up and and I pray with the Apostle John, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Aren't you ready to go home? Aren't you ready for the Lord to come? Aren't you ready for the end of the age when we will be, we'll join him and meet him in there? Can't you wait for that trumpet sound? And the grave will not hold our body down. And we'll be face to face with our Lord and Savior. 
Jesus Christ. And we'll spend an eternity with him. But man, it'll be, it won't feel like an eternity. 10,000 years will be as a day. And I want to say, Lord Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready. You look around at the mess sometimes that the world is in. You look around at the mess sometimes that individual lives are in. You look at the heartache and the world under the curse. And you think, come Lord Jesus. And the Bible says... That there are some people who even say, this is in Second Peter chapter 3, who even say, he's not coming back. He's not. He's delayed. He's delayed. You've been saying he's coming. Hadn't seen any evidence that he's coming. He just forgot about us. He's not coming back. And Peter makes it clear. He says, no, the Lord is not slow in his promise. He is delayed, but he's delaying for a reason. He's delaying on purpose. Why? Because he's not wanting any to perish. When he comes, he's going to come in judgment And he's not wanting anybody to face that judgment. But he wants all to know him. All to be saved through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that we have a saving God who created an appointment. He scheduled a time for this Ethiopian eunuch and for Philip to go and share the gospel with him. And what God was doing in this time of preparation for this evangelism encounter was he was preparing the eunuch's heart. Now, I I wish we had a name for him other than the eunuch. That just kind of... Doesn't sound very appealing, does it? Uh, a unit was a man who had been biologically altered. It was done uh, a lot of times for men who worked in the harems uh, to make sure that they could not get out of line when it came to their relationships with women. God is opposed to that, by the way. This is not a practice that the Bible endorses. God specifically told the children of Israel that they were not to engage in that. This was something that a lot of pagan worshiping nations did. He was the treasurer for Candace. Now, Candace is a great name. I don't know if you know anybody named Candace. It's an absolute great name, but it's actually probably not this lady's name. In Ethiopia, in this part of northern Africa, uh, below the Nile, at the end of the Nile, in the Sudan, known as Ethiopia at this time, there was a king. Typically, this king was a boy king, but he was, that was a divine position. He was the the, a child of the sun was a designation. He was treated as divine. So a child of the sun, S-U-N. Treated as divine. And so because he was divine, he was not allowed to deal with mundane matters. He could not put his hand to the task of mundane matters. So he just ruled with no responsibility. He had the positions, but the duties were assigned to his mother. And the queen mother was the one who actually ran the kingdom. And she was not specifically called the queen. Her title was the Candace of Ethiopia. She was the Candace, Candace of Ethiopia. Much like Pharaoh is the title for the ruler, and yet it becomes his name. Candace becomes her name. And so this man is her treasurer. He's her CEO. He runs the chief, well, chief finance, CFO. He, he's, he's the one who, who runs the treasury. He's a very, has, a, has a very high position of honor and responsibility. Also, it's interesting to note, did you remember when we just read, where was he coming from? Stay with me. He's coming from Jerusalem. And why had he gone to Jerusalem? He'd gone to Jerusalem to worship. What that tells us is that God had been working in the heart of this man who did not yet know him. 
God had been drawing him and giving him an interest. I don't know if he was a God-fearer, which is a Gentile who was interested in the God of the Jews and would come alongside of the Jewish worshipers. He had certainly been to Jerusalem to worship. What we do know, without a shadow of a doubt, is that God has prepared his heart so that his heart was open to God. He was seeking after God. God convicts, God draws And God softens the heart. We have a God who saves. We have a God who initiates. Who initiates salvation encounters. God told him to go. God initiates and we respond. When God told Philip to go, what did he do? He went. This is what Philip did. He went. He rose and went. And there is where he met the eunuch. Not only do we have a saving God, in this salvation encounter, we have a willing witness. We have Philip, the evangelist. And lest we think, well, of course, that's what Christians do. We evangelize. I want you to know that that is really, most often, not the case. Now, Philip is not unique, and he's not an exception But what did Moses do when God told Moses, Moses, I want to use you to set my people free. Did Moses raise his hand and say, oh, good, I'm so excited. Send me, I want to go. What did he say? Send somebody else. And he started listing reasons why he would not be a good witness. And there again and again, I remember the story of Gideon, the angel of the Lord, the representation of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, I want to use you to deliver my people from me. And Gideon says, you don't want me. You can do better than me. I'm of the smallest tribe and I'm of the least of my tribe. I am just not qualified. Lord, could you send somebody else? How many times has the Lord given you and me an opportunity to display his love? to share the wonderful truth of salvation, to talk about Jesus. Let's just talk about Jesus. How many times has God given us the opportunity and because we're embarrassed or because we don't feel confident or because we're shy or because of some some fear, we just don't. We have the opportunity that comes and the opportunity that goes. And I will tell you, folks, everybody does that. Everybody has it to some extent. But we need to stop it. And you can stop it. You can become a willing witness. You can become one of those people like Philip, like Peter, like John, like the church in the the launch of the church that we have recorded in the book of Acts, who are known for their boldness, for their willingness to speak, for their faithfulness even in the face of persecution and isolation and punishment and and diaspora. They're, They're spreading out, being sent to uncomfortable places. We must be salt and we must be light and we must be willing. Just... Uh, a few things here to, to kind of help us with this. The first thing is this. We've got to acknowledge and resolve to be a witness. Father, use my mouth. Father, use my life. Father, use my hands to display your love and your grace and your goodness and kindness. God, I am willing to allow you to use me to talk to people about you. The most important one they can know. The most important experience they can ever have is the experience of being born again. Is the experience of being made new. Of the experience of being forgiven for sins. And you just got to resolve to be willing to be used. It's important that we resolve to share the gospel. That we resolve 
and, and say, Father, I am willing. And then that we, when we do that, you're going to find out that God's going to change your schedule. God's going to redirect your path. And, and, and I just want to, you guys know what this is like. Here's what he did for Philip. He was in Samaria and having a revival meeting and people were coming to know the Lord. Boy, you'd think he'd just stay there for a while, right? And God says, I need you to go, not back to Jerusalem, but the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, the road that leads to Egypt. I need you to go to a desert place and just wait. Because we have no idea that he had any information other than leave here and go there. There are many times when we say, Father, here am I, send me, when we recognize that, that we are the ones who are yielded to God. Father, take us where you'd have us to go. Use us how you'd have us to use how you would use us for your glory and we want to be used and God redirected Philip and God will redirect you sometimes it'll be a redirection as simple as changing your lunch appointment somebody doesn't show up and he sends somebody else that you can have a conversation with sometimes it'll be as simple as changing a schedule or somebody showing up on your doorstep or a, a quote chance encounter there's no chance encounters when God sets your schedule amen a divinely orchestrated appointment. But can I mention something else? Sometimes God will redirect your path for the rest of your life. Sometimes he'll say, you've been working in the medical field and you need to be a missionary. You need to relocate to another country where the gospel is not yet proclaimed. Or you may be a sports, an athlete, and you play professional sports. And God says, I need you to go to this other place and this other direction. Or it's a career change, a career path change. You may be in this career. And God says, listen, I have a better use for you, another place for you to go. A complete redirection of your life. And you resolve to be a witness to me. You resolve to be useful for the kingdom of God. A vessel fit for the master's use. Second Timothy chapter 2. A vessel of honor. To be used by God for his glory and God redirects. You have to be willing to allow God to change your plans. And then you have to be in the habit of listening and obeying. You have to be in the habit of listening and obeying. I have promised unsuccessfully sometimes not to use my children as an example in too many of my sermons. So I'm going to talk about somebody else's. How about that? When I was a kid, I won't talk about my kids, all right? When I was a kid, there was a family that we went to church with at Mokes Creek Baptist Church in South Mississippi. I know you all know where that is. It's just outside of Bogachetta if you need a frame of reference. This family had a couple of sons, and they had one son who was a rule follower. You guys know rule followers? He was their firstborn. And he was the rule follower. Uh, parents would say, you need to take out the trash. He'd take out the trash. Parents, we'd, in that day, we would go out and ride bikes through the neighborhood and through the community. I'm talking about miles and miles and miles. We'd leave either mid-morning or early afternoon, and we'd be back three or four hours later. I don't know. The kids today don't know that experience, but many of you would, would have an experience with that. His parents would say, you need to be back for dinner at 5 o'clock. This guy would be back for dinner at five o'clock but he had a brother his brother the youngest we go from the oldest to the youngest the youngest was not a rule follower y'all know anybody like that anybody here like that 
whatever the rule was, this guy would push it not just to the line, but well across the line to disobedience and rebellion. Be home at 5 o'clock, we'll be home when we get home. Do this, do that. You know, the chores, never do the chores. This guy was in trouble all the time. I mean, just in trouble all the time. Uh, um, we, uh, we have many, many stories to tell about Robert and Chuck and the different ways that they, inter- same family, same parents, same environment, one rule follower habituated to following rules and one rebel habituated to rebel, to rebel even when there was no good reason to rebel, just didn't like being told what to do. The reason I use these guys as an illustration is because we need to be habituated to obedience in daily living, in the small things. When God told Philip, I'm going to redirect your path, I'm going to move you from a successful revival, the spreading of the church, just like I told you. Matter of fact, when I told you Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, you're the point guy in Samaria. This is a massive, major role, and you're going to go. He went, but that wasn't the first lesson that God had given him. That wasn't his first example of obedience. God had told him before. He'd gotten saved under the apostles' preaching, probably at Pentecost. He had sat under their teaching. He was a part of this church that shared life together. He was trained, and he was equipped. He was a good student to the disciples teaching he had a servant's heart and he stepped up when the church called him to be one of these leaders for the food ministering to the widows in Jerusalem he went through the persecution he had a habit and a pattern of being obedient and of being obedient and being obedient so when God directed him from Samaria to a desert place southwest of Jerusalem the answer was yes it was not let's talk about this Lord I don't think this is a good career move It was not, I don't like this idea. Father, I like it in the north. I don't like it in the south. Or Father, I want to go where nobody's been. And he did not argue. What we have is because he established a pattern of obedience and practice of obedience, when God gave him something that was out of the norm, his answer was yes. We need to emulate his example to be those who are willing to be redirected because of our resolve to be a witness and to be a practicing, to be those who practice obedience. Now, when you resolve to go, when you're willing to go, then you need to be praying that God will send you a receptive listener. And that's the next guy we see here. We see the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, did, did Philip have to convince the Ethiopian eunuch to listen to him? Did he have to browbeat him, chase him down? Not at all. God had been preparing this man's heart. He had come... Jerusalem to worship and he's reading a text the scripture he's reading from Isaiah 53 the greatest messianic passage of salvation God's grace through the death of his son in all of the Old Testament Isaiah 53 it's the first gospel it's 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 the gospel in the Old Testament that he is open and that he's reading. He is one who is seeking and asking questions and as amazing as it should be, we have a saving God after all. He's reading this passage of scripture. And can I just encourage you with something? When you want to talk about Jesus and you want to be used by God to bring glory to his son and to help people recognize their need for the Savior, which is where evangelism starts by displaying love and helping people see that there's a need that is only addressed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Talk to people who will listen to you. 
You don't have to browbeat people. You don't have to follow around after people who've got their hands over their ears and are heading in another direction. Talk to people who will listen. If you are willing to talk, God will send you people willing to listen. If you are willing to talk, God will send you people willing to listen. He is at work. He is working in the hearts and lives of people. And he has chosen to use us as instruments of his, of his grace, of instruments of, of proclamation, of sharing, as purveyors of truth. And if you're willing to talk, God will make sure you have people who are willing to listen. If they won't listen, there's somebody else who will. There may be somebody who overhears that conversation. There may be somebody that God simply redirects you to. When Paul and Barnabas went to Antioch and Pisidia on a missionary journey, in Acts chapter 13, the first place they went was to the synagogue and they preached the gospel to the Jews. And there was a great response. But then the Jewish leaders saw the crowd the next time they came. The first meeting was kind of information meeting. And then the Jewish leaders saw the crowd the next time they came and they got jealous. And they, they started to stand up and to refute the things that Paul and Barnabas were preaching in the synagogue. In Acts chapter 13 verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. They were reviling him. They were shouting him down. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It is necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Since you thrust it aside, and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you for a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. What did he tell them? We want to talk to you. If you're willing to listen, we'll listen. But when you stop listening, there are other people who are willing. And they turned to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles heard that. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. You need a God who saves, and we have one. You need a witness who is willing to be used by God. And you need a receptive listener. Was the Ethiopian eunuch a receptive listener? Yeah. When God brings Philip there, he encounters a eunuch in his carriage, in his chariot. He's got a long road to go. At best guess, it's about a thousand miles from Jerusalem to sub, sub-Sudan, Africa. And that's a, that's a long, long travel. It's been, he's got a long time to think about this. And he's reading the scroll of Isaiah, he's got a lot to read. He's like, when, 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 when Philip saw him, he said, do you understand what you're reading? Just a hello, do you understand what you're reading? And his answer is, how can I understand unless someone guide me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. We have a saving God who prepares the heart. We have a willing witness. We have a receptive listener. And so when that happens in your life, it is not time to talk about politics. When that happens in your life, it's not time to talk about football. When that happens in your life, it's not time to talk about the weather or development. 
When that happens in your life, it's time to talk about Jesus. It's time to open the eyes to the people, to share the gospel with people. And that's what the next thing is. When you have a willing witness and a receptive listener, you share the biblical gospel. You need to understand the biblical gospel. You need to experience the benefits of the biblical gospel. Picking up at verse 32 in Acts 8. Now the passage of the scripture that the Ethiopian was reading was this. And he quotes from Isaiah 53. Just two verses. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to the fellow. Now about whom I ask you does this prophet say this? Is this about himself or is this about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus Christ. What do I say in a witnessing encounter? How do I talk to people about Jesus? Read to them what God says about Jesus. Three things here. Point to people. Point people to the scriptures. You guys share your testimony? I hope you do. I hope you talk to people about how good the Lord Jesus Christ has been to you. I hope you share with them the way that he's worked in your life and your personal experiences. And I want you to share your testimony. But I want to tell you something. There's a testimony that is more powerful than your testimony. And it is God's testimony. It is God's eternal word. How shall people hear without a preacher? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Go back and read Romans chapter 10. Particularly verse 16, verse 17. You see the importance of being evangelist, even in that context, to the Jewish people, to the people of God. We need to be faithful to proclaim, but not simply proclaim our opinions or proclaim our ideas or even proclaim our experiences. We need to proclaim the eternal truth of God. And I know that the word proclaim bothers people. I'm not a proclaimer. There's a band by that name one day. I'm not apropos of nothing. I'm sorry. All of a sudden, I would walk 500 miles, popped into my head. We need to be people who simply speak forth, who simply speak out. The truth of God's word. Do it conversationally. I'm not talking about a memorized presentation where you come and you quote whole chapters of, of scripture at someone. I'm talking about talking to people and open the Bible. To, just start it with John chapter 3 verse 16. And have them read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What does that mean? Do you know who God is? God's the one who created the world. God who created all that is. That he has a son. His son is Jesus. That God sent his perfect son Jesus to come to the earth. And just walk through the scripture, the simple scriptures with someone. I don't know how, how, how many of you are familiar with the Romans road. Where you 
follow a path of scripture that talks about the man's need for salvation and the consequences of sin and God's provision of the Lord Jesus Christ and the response that is required. But open the Bible, point people to scripture. And when you point people to scripture, you can't point people to scripture without pointing them to Jesus. And then you, the scripture calls for salvation. Point people to scripture, point people to our Savior, point people to salvation. When Philip did this, by the way, he opened the scriptures to him. But one of the reasons that we study the Bible, one of the reasons that we open the scriptures and read them in our daily Bible reading, one of the reasons that we come to a Sunday school class or we come to a worship service is to understand the context of the scripture, to understand the eternal truths of the scripture so that we can rightly apply them, not simply for our own edification, but so that we can speak them to other people. So that we can share them. You open the Bible and you, you see Jesus on the pages of scripture. And you share them with others. Just like Philip did here. And then as the Holy Spirit works in his heart. What we have in this story is the right response. We have a repentant sinner. Now let's get this. Get the whole picture here. We've got, we've got a God who saves. We've got a witness who is willing. We've got a listener who is willing to listen. He's receptive. We've got the gospel that God has proclaimed, not one that we've made up or one that we've tried to figure it out. One that is revealed in Scripture, and we shared that. And when God works in this heart, God working and convicting and God bringing to life, giving the illumination that is necessary for them to understand, then you have a repentant sinner. The right response is repentance. Picking up at verse 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? I don't know how long Philip spent in the chariot. Do you? I don't have any idea how long Philip spent in the chariot. But it was more than 15 minutes on his way out the door. Or is on his way to the next place. He opened the scriptures beginning with that passage in Isaiah 53. My guess, he went back to the Pentateuch and went all the way through the prophecies and then declared to him his own experience that Jesus Christ is the answer to answer that God has sent, the Messiah, the Savior. And he went so far as to even teach him about baptism. How else would this guy even know what it means for a believer to be baptized? And by the way, this is really neat to me. Where are they? You remember where they are? They're in a desert place. What do they come across at just the right time? Water. Water deep enough to be baptized in. Water deep enough to be immersed in. When you are in a witnessing situation, you are not alone. When you are in a conversation where you're talking about Jesus, where you're willing to be used to make disciples for people who aren't disciples, you are never alone. He is with you. And he gives you all you need. All the provision that you need. That's his promise. Here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water. The spirit of our Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. What is, the consequence, what is the consequence of a saving God, a willing witness, a receptive listener, a biblical gospel, and a repentant sinner? 
It is regeneration. It is life. It is being made into something that you've never been before. It is what Jesus told Nicodemus was being born again. It's becoming a child of God. It's becoming a part of God's family. It's being forgiven from sin. It's being released from guilt. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, indwelled by the Spirit of God. And what is the, the, the consequence of that? It's faith. Repentance and faith. It is putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a man who is faithful. We have a man who is obedient. Obedient not only to believe, but then to be baptized, to follow the Lord's command in baptism. And then there's great joy too, by the way. He went away rejoicing. Now, I'm not sure that that's... Excuse me. I'm not sure that would have been my immediate response. Why? Imagine this, will you? Here's the Ethiopian unit with a thousand mile trek in front of me, roughly. Hundreds of miles ago. Days, weeks, and months of travel. He's opening the scrolls. He's been to Jerusalem to worship. He's seeking after God. God sends him Philip. He picks him up, puts him in the chariot, and Philip preaches to him. It teaches to him. and unfolds the word of God to him. And the Holy Spirit convicts him. He becomes saved. He's baptized. And then he's ready to go. And I would imagine that he wants Philip to hang around. To teach me more. Feed me more. One of the characteristics of being a believer is you not only, now you know God, you want to know more of God. And what happens? God takes Philip away. I mean, he just no longer here. Now he's over there. How do you explain that? It's a miracle. It's a mir- only happens a very few times in Scripture. No place described exactly like it is. But he looks around and Philip's going. Where's Philip? He's on his next appointment. Headed to the next place. And so, I would have probably written, he went on his way confused. Where is Philip? But not. Obviously. Luke writes under the leadership of the Holy Spirit that this Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. Because even though Philip was no longer there, now he was a child of God. Now he was indwelled by the Spirit. Now he had been brought to life. And he was filled with rejoicing. What is the impact of this one encounter? You and I don't know the impact of this one encounter. Historically, I can tell you that there are many churches in Africa, several churches in Africa, that trace their spiritual ancestry back to this encounter in this event. I'll guarantee you that he went on to be a witness. I'll guarantee you that that which he experienced, he shared with others. And there are countries, Ethiopia actually, was, was, was one of the few African nations that had a very strong Christian population for a, for a number of years. And it's due to faithful witnesses proclaiming the good news of Christ. Philip, by the way, was on his next, to his next appointment. He went to Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Caesarea is particularly important. We'll get to that next week. But can I just remind you that we have a God who saves? Aren't you glad? Have a God who saved you? And he's at work today. And he knows your family member, and he knows your co-worker, and he knows your neighbor, and he knows every resident of the West End of Greenville. And he knows their need, and he loves them, and he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to him. All should be presented with the gospel, the good news of Christ. And so the call for us is to be a willing witness. To be a willing witness, to simply speak to those who will listen, to search for those 
receptive listeners. And when we find them, to simply speak a biblical gospel, the scriptures, God's testimony, to speak a biblical gospel to them, praying that God will grant them repentance and faith, that they may rejoice in what we have found. Isn't God good?